This is the Rejoicing in the Word podcast coming to you from the capital region of the Susquehanna Valley. My name is Josh Hamilton, and with me today is my co-host, Pastor Brandon Starnes. We want to welcome you here today, and I wanted to start us out with talking about some of the different platforms that you can find our podcasts on, some of the major ones here, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn, CastBox, Edify, Listen Notes, and a few others. So just wanted to mention those to you. Uh, maybe you use one more than the other. Maybe you're a fan of one more than the other. But we want you to be able to have access to our podcast, to be able to listen to us there. Remember to like, follow, share. You can even rate us on some of those as well. And we just love your input there as you listen to the podcast. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about joy. We are looking, we're working our way through the book of Romans and Paul specifically, his life. And last week, we looked at some of the prerequisites of joy. So, Pastor, what do you, what are, where are we going from these prerequisites of joy? Where are we moving towards? Well, as we looked at the prerequisites of joy last week, we examined the week before a little bit of Paul's life, his personal testimony that brought all of this out. And it, wonderful statements, he said, how he was separated into the gospel of God, how he was a servant of Jesus Christ, and those attitudes were antithetical to what he was prior to his salvation. In verses number, I guess, 8, 9, 10 through maybe 15 or 16, he uses the pronoun I on 13 different occasions. He's going to give you a little bit of glimpse into the source of joy as it is attributed or seen in his life. And so then we remember from last week also, joy is the very present gift of God to those that believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, and you'll note here in verse number 8, here's that personal aspect of this joy. A lot of folks will talk about joy. You're going to be able to get a first-person testimony of what joy looks like in somebody's life. He says in verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That's an interesting thing there you mentioned. Uh, well, Paul mentions it really. He says, I thank my God. What What are some things that we would thank God about um, I know, as we see the work of Jesus Christ in others' lives? Yeah. You know, sometimes people use that word, I thank God, very casually. It's very intentional here. And I think part of it's leading up to what's found later, and it is the result of salvation in one's life, that salvation... Uh, is the power of God. It's the gospel of God, and it was Paul's God. As of such, he has this attitude of thankfulness, as we said there in verse number verse number 8, as he reflects about the genuineness and the extent of the faith of others that believed. One of the things I think it did here, as he reflects on just seeing others come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that alone brings joy. That's true. I I think about those times whenever we I just love hearing how someone came to know the Lord. It's an exciting thing. It brings joy to my heart because I, I know the joy that Christ brought to my heart when I trusted him. I think it's one of the most marvelous. We talk about tools of evangelism. One of the most marvelous tools of evangelism is seeing the transformational work of God that was done by his spirit in the life of one of his children. Why wouldn't you give thanks over that? That's true. You know, one of my favorite verses out of... Uh, just Paul writing to these different churches. I think it was to Thessalonica. Mm-hmm. He writes and he says that I was going to go, you know, preach the gospel around your region, but I didn't even have to because they already knew from your testimony. I thought that, I think that's a wonderful. It gives you another reason to be thankful, doesn't it? Yes. And that is just to see the spread of the gospel 
that alone brings uh, an additional reason, I should say, of joy being had in the life of a believer. There are some places that I will never be able to go. There are some people that I'll never have the opportunity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A few weeks, you know, maybe we'll hear from missionaries or whatever, to know that they're going somewhere I can't to give the gospel the same gospel I have. And that's a deep-seated joy that ought to be produced. You know what else is exciting is whenever we see people, other people, specifically I'm speaking of our church, um, but other Christians excited about going out. I think about just the young people in our church. We had a time whenever they went out and were able to give out some Johns and Romans and just the excitement as they were taking part as they could in spreading the gospel. That brought joy to my heart as well. When we have the joy unspeakable that Peter speaks of, it's a secret, quote-unquote, that we must need be made public to all that would hear. I think another thing here that he's thanking God for as it relates to reflecting about genuine salvation of others, it's, it's really that life of transformation. He's writing to the Romans, uh, and there are two to three characters that are kind of seen in the first few chapters. When I think of Rome, though many of the early Christians likely were Jewish, but when you, when you think of the Romans that occupied during that time, what a level of transformation occurred in their life. It went from polytheism to monotheism. They, they went, uh, serving many gods to one god, now, they went from a place of paganism to righteousness. Well, whenever we read chapter 1 of Romans, we do get a sense of what their life was like before Christ. Mm-hmm. Another thing uh, to give thanks for as he observed in their life is just the results of a Christian that now is light versus salt, or light and salt. Uh, the ability that they have now to, what is it, Philippians chapter 2, almost as though they're luminaries, that you be lights in this crooked and perverse generation. What a glorious thing. A dark city like Rome, steeped in wickedness and unrighteousness, and now these burgeoning lights of those new believers as they're holding on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you think of anything else that would have brought life and joy to the heart of the Apostle Paul? That's a wonderful thought. As you have Nero was the emperor there during the time of Paul. And so you have to think about what was it like for those Christians that were living there? We know that from history that there was a lot of persecution. And so you have Christians rejoicing in really such a time of difficult circumstances. Yes. Even in the back uh, of the book, Romans chapter 16, towards the end, he has a list of those that were in high-ranking places, no doubt even in the Roman government, that were such a joy to his heart for their faithful service. But he moves beyond just a simple reflection of their thankfulness for them, and he gives some clarity. He says that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That's marvelous. That is. Rome's the seat of government. All roads lead to Rome. This is what I'm saying. what, uh, What direction or what is he thankful particularly about their faith that the whole world was able to see? I think one of those is obviously that there's a new comrades, and I mean that in the sense that there's fellow believers. Right. There's no greater joy that a child of God could have to be united with a body of believers that love him, and Paul was not an island unto himself. That's true, and we find him writing, well, you just find that in his writings. He's writing to multiple churches. Mm-hmm. He's writing to multiple individuals. I think of Timothy to Titus, uh, Erastus, mm-hmm. I mean, so many people that Paul had that ministry of reaching out to and strengthening the brethren. Luke, Silas, John Mark Barnabas, 
the list goes on, and Aquila and Priscilla. Or think about the relationship he had with Philemon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of these individuals, and yet he's the apostle, not them. Right. He's the apostle to the Gentiles, the one called out of due season. Yet he had a, such a joy to be with their presence because of their faith that the whole world knew. I think part of that is there's a camaraderie there between two believers. And we know that just from looking at Paul's life, he was a very busy, diligent man. And I think about even his life before he met Christ on the Damascus Road, that he was a man of diligence, a man who worked hard at whatever he did. But thank the Lord that whenever he came to Christ, he was changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. But he worked absolutely diligently and hard you, you have in, to want, in his new life. You, you have to wonder of this. Was there ever a time where he considered, is it worth it all? I don't know if that's the case or not, but I can tell you how he looked at his labor. To the Philippian church, he said, you're my crown, you're my joy. To the Colossian church, to the Roman church, he's thanking God for them. In part, their coming to Christ, their faithful obedience of the doctrines of Christ, gave, if you will, a validation to his apostolic ministry. It gave him hope when he's traveling. It gave him hope during dangers, the day and the night in the deep, you know. It gave him strength, in a sense, but, you know, when he was in great need of help. The sacrifices that were expended, all of it was made by just seeing these folks come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think part of that might have been the result of joy. It's an easy thing to reflect on how difficult we have things when rather we should look and say, look at the opportunities God's given me to labor, and that alone can be a vindication. I think another thing, too, that speaks to his attitude of joy is the time time and time again he's writing, he's ministering to people while he's imprisoned, while he's in chains, and uh, it doesn't stop him from ministering. Mm-mm. No, it never does. Now, if his circumstances dictated his joy, then you would find something completely different. There'd be a a, a missionary who was not able to serve, you know, because he was being directed by his circumstances. But Paul was joyful through it all. He sure is. He, he recounted himself as just being a steward of the manifold grace of God, an under rower, if you will, there. And he said that's something that every steward ought to have is faithfulness. And one encouragement uh, uh, that provides joy in the tents, in the times of difficulty, is, uh, is seeing uh, the goodness of God as it pertains to salvation and growth of others. I think another thing that he was thankful for was just the power of the cross and um, just how we see his ministry reaching out uh, really vindicates the power of the cross. The gospel through Paul reached the Greek. We see that the gospel also reached the Jew. We see that it reached the Romans. It was transmitted from faith to faith just as it is today. That word power is used two or three times in this chapter. I think in verse number four, uh, the gospel is declared with power. Verse number six is the power of God into salvation. If there's anything that's going to transform the ungodly into a source of godliness, the unrighteous, it's going to take a divine power. Absolutely. And that is by itself a source of great joy. One of the reasons Paul's life is going to be one of joy, one of those attributes uh, of rejoicing in his life that he gives thanks, is because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think of Colossians 1.13, how it speaks about being translated from darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. What a, what a wonderful 
show of the victory that Calvary gives us in our lives. Yes, and as Ephesians says, uh, ye who were once far alienated are now brought nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a miraculous power. He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Thankfulness is an attitude of a rejoicing heart. A heart fixed on Christ is one that is always responding to the difficulties of life with an expectation of God's sanctifying work. Disappointments don't sway us. Temptations do not distract us. Trials do not defeat us. They, these joyful, thankful Christians, press on with long-suffering and patience, all the while singing the praises of God. I think outside of Scripture, Eliza Hewitt might have put it best. The trusting heart to Jesus clings, nor any ill forebode, but at the cross of Calvary sings praise God for lifted loads. The passing days bring many cares. Fear not, I hear him say. And when my fears are turned to prayers, the burdens slip away. Singing I go along life's road, praising the Lord, praising the Lord. Singing I go along life's road. For Jesus has lifted my load. He's lifted my load. What a wonderful consideration, an attribute of rejoicing always found in the thankfulness of the saints. Brother, what's our verse for the day? I want to take us to Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And my thought with that here is I think that oftentimes we take hope and we have a light definition of hope. Hmm. As in, well, I really hope my baseball team wins the World Series or I hope this works out for me in life. And it's something we really don't know the outcome of. But whenever we look at the word hope, as Paul's using it here or Paul uses it in other places, speaking of rejoicing in hope, it's an expectation. It's in anticipation. I think of in Titus, Paul talks about his hope in his salvation from a God who cannot lie. It's not like he's hoping that something comes true, but it might not. Rather, it's in anticipation of what is to come. So with that, we want to challenge you today to continue rejoicing in the word. Thank you for listening.